what does it mean to be old faithful? What does it mean to be old faithful? For those looking rather confused, I'm not speaking about any hot water eruptions, famous geysers in Yellowstone Park, but rather, what does it mean to be old faithful as a Christian? To have been a believer for a good number of years and to display great faith. Indeed, when you consider your own life, and not just perhaps a, a greatness of years, but rather the degree to which you display a great faithfulness to the Lord, to what do you look to? What does it mean to be an old faithful, to be a mature Christian? Which long-standing believer comes into your mind, perhaps, when you think of a, of a great man or woman of faith? And with them as your standard, would you qualify for that old faithful title? What is it that you list first on your CV of faith? But if you're anything like me, when it comes to proving the validity of great faith, it can be very tempting to, to look back. Indeed, even though I've not quite hit 40 years old yet, as I consider my own CV of faithfulness, it's easy to look back and to, and to list great adventures of the past. Mission trips to Tanzania in my teenage years, uh, evangelistic talks in the US Capitol building in my 20s, church revitalization uh, in London in my 30s, because sometimes it can be tempting to define great faithfulness by old zeal and old endeavors and to look back to past mountaintop experiences and to days when there were perhaps no younger children to protect from, from COVID or the internet or a prevailing secularism or strength sapping inflation or political angst or just those underlying feelings of loneliness. For many of us, it's easy, isn't it? To define great Christian faithfulness by days when we were younger and maybe more courageous. When perhaps we wielded the, the, the blade of God's word with a confidence and a certainty with our friends because the newspapers were not full of all the things that they are full of today. Indeed, a few weeks ago, I was reading a wonderful poem by the American writer Elizabeth Bishop called Crusoe in England. And the poem tells the imaginary story of the mythical explorer Robinson Crusoe and his imagined retirement in old England after all of his heroics on the island of despair. And the poem tells how this emeritus explorer initially convinces himself of his greatness every single morning because of his knife-wielding adventures of the past. Indeed, the poem begins with Crusoe poring over the newspapers at the kitchen table and scoffing. A new volcano has erupted, the newspapers say. And last week I was reading where some ship saw an island being born at first a breath of steam ten miles away. But my island is still unrediscovered. And yet as the long poem goes on, with increasing honesty, a retired Robinson Crusoe wonders whether he really is the man he thought he was. For his famous knife is now placed high on a shelf, and so nobody recognizes him for who he is anymore. Indeed, the poem ends 
Now I live here, another island that does not seem like one, but who decides? My blood was full of them, my brain bred islands, but that archipelago has petered out. I am old. I am bored too, drinking my tea, surrounded by uninteresting lumber. The knife, there on the shelf, it reeked of meaning like a crucifix. Now it won't look at me at all. The living soul has dribbled away. My eyes rest upon it and pass on. Friends, could that be metaphorically you or I? A Christian who defines themselves as, as faithful. A Christian who knew of, of gospel adventures once. A Christian who wielded the, the, the knife of God's word in, in brave apologetic defense and a, an evangelistic attack. And yet a Christian who in recent years ha, has grown older, who has maybe even grown bored. A Christian who now just sits around drinking tea a Christian who looks at the knife of, of God's word and, and sees in it great nostalgic meaning, but one who now leaves God's word on the shelf, whose eyes briefly rest upon it but then pass on. What does it mean to be a mature Christian? What does it mean to be old, faithful? Well, our passage this morning we see that great faithfulness is not defined by, by any adventures of youth or any mountaintop experiences of the past, but rather that great faithfulness has everything to do with how we are treating the knife of God's word today and whether we are still wielding it, whatever island of life we may find ourselves upon, or whether we are now just someone who nostalgically glances at it high on its shelf as we let our eyes pass on to the kitchen table and all the newspapers of today. Well, that is our passage in a nutshell. Great faithfulness is evidenced by what one does with the word of the Lord. Great faithfulness is evidenced by what one does with the word of the Lord. For as our passage begins here this morning, we are met not by, not by one, but by two models of such great faithfulness. For in the very first verse of chapter 3, we meet two characters who continue to wield the word. Accordingly, before we go any further, uh, let me give you an opportunity to write down that first point this morning. Point one, the faithful keep spreading the word and keep submitting to the word. Point one, the faithful keep spreading the word and keep submitting to the word. In verse 1, the old man Paul, uh, for the very first time in this letter, writes about himself. Up until this point, Paul has been zooming in on the Thessalonian church, if you remember, and issues of, of discrimination and fiery trial in chapter 1, and then issues of dishonesty and false teaching in chapter 2. And so until chapter 3, we, the reader, are, are unsure of what Paul is up to. After, and after all his, his famous escapades across Mediterranean islands in the first century, and, and given his age now... We may imagine at this point that Paul is living a Crusoe in England life. We may picture in our mind's eye the, the, the apostle now retired, tea and, and toast in hand and, and sword on the shelf. But no, Paul is not done with wielding the word of the Lord. For his desire, look at verse 1, is that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. Paul is still preaching the gospel, he's still evangelizing. 
Indeed, we meet Paul here at the end of uh, of missionary journey number two and, and planning missionary journey number three. For Paul, even in later years, still yearns that the word of the Lord may keep blazing forward. Indeed, the verb here, speed ahead, conjures up pictures of, of an athlete kind of burning past someone on the final bend or of a wild fire spreading through a bone-dry forest. And the elderly Paul, as we see here, is still faithful to Jesus' mission. He still yearns that the word of the Lord might be taken to the very ends of the earth and that he himself might go with it. Paul epitomizes old faithful. He keeps spreading the, the good news of Christ, the good news of Jesus, as we sung about and thought about this morning, dying for our sin, rising to bring those who trust in him to God. And so my Christian friends, what about you? And what about me? Friends, I was very convicted by verse one this week. For I see in myself a, a desire to see that the gospel spread still, but a desire that, that once burnt so bright that is perhaps a little bit duller now. From my university days in England, I'd invent questionnaires and I'd sit down with, with, with random people in the pub on a Friday night and I'd ask them questions like, who is Jesus to you? Do, do you think you'll get to heaven? And I did that and I invented that just so I could, could see the word spread, but, but I don't do that anymore. And on one level, I think that is genuinely okay. There are other responsibilities I have on a Friday night now. There are other people and there are other things to be faithful to. But in doing so, as I spent this week wondering, I, I wondered whether I'd come to define great faithfulness in such a way that had released me from a desire to spread the gospel to my friends and my neighbors and my family. And so friends, what about you? Not a once upon a time in a Robinson Crusoe past, but, but now. Is your life today driven by a yearning to see the word of the Lord speeding ahead, burning up all the dry lands of, of secularism and a nominal Christianity? Friends, who are your unbelieving friends? Do you have any? When's the last time that you shared the gospel? Whose hearts do you really lovingly long to be made new by your careful usage of God's good scalpel? Edgefield Church, just like every church in Nashville, is just one generation away from death. We have to keep spreading the gospel. And old faithfuls do it. The faithful keep spreading the word. And yet there is, there is a second example here of Christian faithfulness in verse 1. A second example of great and growing maturity in the Lord Jesus. Another aspect of fidelity not only evidenced in the old man Paul's continual desire to keep spreading the word of the Lord, but rather secondly in how the Thessalonians themselves keep submitting to the word of the Lord. For whilst Paul handled God's word faithfully and almost like an Olympic torch to, to be run with, with a desire to, to see it set many hearts and, and souls on fire for Christ for the glory of God, the Thessalonians, in their own great faithfulness, handle the word not only as torch, but as treasure. For the Thessalonians, verse 1, can you see? Honored the word. That they open it up and they see its preciousness. 
and they submit to it. And the Thessalonians look down at verse 4, that they keep treasuring it, don't they? That they keep submitting to it. Paul has every confidence, verse 4, that they are doing present and that they will do in the future the things that Paul commands from God's word. But friends, can you see how, how their great faithfulness was made manifest in how they treated the word of the Lord? And can you see why it was that the Thessalonians submit to this word in the way in which they did? For the Thessalonians came to the word, recalling the very author of it. The Thessalonians did not worship the Bible, just as we are not to worship the Bible. But they treated it with an awe and a reverence. And they submitted to its, its every line because it came from the hand of the one whom they did worship. And so they approached it, almost like, like one might approach royalty. Indeed, in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, in Paul's first letter to them, Paul recalls how this was so. For in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 13, you can turn there if you'd like, Paul recalls this. He says, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God. And in their great faithfulness, the Thessalonians had seemingly continued on, hadn't they, to, to handle the, 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 the Bible in, in a way that was different from, from every other text on their bedside table. For they did not pick up God's word as, as one picks up a best-selling novel, as something to just be inspired by. Nor did they pick up the, the word of, uh, of the Lord as one picks up a, a kind of modern self-help book, something to be harvested for as much happiness as possible. And they did not pick up the word of God as one picks up an Ikea instruction booklet as something to be carefully followed once and then put on the shelf. No. No, they submitted to the word of the Lord and they keep submitting to the word of the Lord because they handled it and they keep handling it as the very word of their maker and their sustainer and their savior. And that, that says Paul, is what true faithfulness is all about. Indeed, we saw that last time we were in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brothers, stand firm, hold on to the traditions that you were taught. And so, brothers and sisters, here this morning, can you see how Paul defines old faithfulness? Not in how people treated the Bible once, at one point in the life, as perhaps when they walked the aisle or went to Sunday school as a little kid, for Paul does not see their, their great faithfulness solely through the memory of their first day when, when Paul came kind of swashbuckling into their port and how the Thessalonians excitingly came to faith then amid bad characters and, and marketplace brawls. But rather, can you see how Paul sees their, their great faithfulness in how they, they keep submitting to God's word? in a world that quite evidently, as we see from chapter one, could not stand some of the teaching in it. And so again, my friends, 2,000 years on from the, the old faithfuls of ancient Thessalonica, how are you and I handling God's word in, in 2022? In modern day Nashville, amid people who equally do not like certain parts of the Bible. Indeed, if someone like Paul came and, and did an audit on, on Edgefield Church, would he find a, a similarly faithful people in a similarly hostile period? 
are people who, who treat the Bible with, with uttermost awe, who seek to submit to its every divine line, who work hard at the occasional line which is, which is hard to understand, and when they see a line in it that they don't immediately like, don't just run away to a so-called Bible expert who, who just tells them exactly what they want to hear, are people who see the word of the Lord as their, as their ultimate authority in life, that which at times trumps uh, their, their, their reason and their happiness and their church background and their, and their cultural norms, are people who read it and love it and magnify it, who are reading it alone and with other people and who are frequently and, and humbly changing their minds and their lives because of it. Indeed, are people who are so committed to submitting to it that they are willing to quietly be persecuted by friends and family and colleagues when it cuts against the grain of what is in the newspaper on the kitchen table. Friends, I, I, know, I know that many of you are just like that. Well done for loving the word over the world. Thank you to many of you for being such a wonderful model of faithfulness in that to us all. But friends, for some of us on some issues, could it be that somewhere along the line, we have forgotten what we hold in our hands here and the preciousness of these very pages for ensuring that we remain faithful all the way to the very end. The evangelist John Wesley put it like this, I am a creature of the day, passing through life as an arrow through the air. I am a spirit come from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf till a few moments hence and I am seen no more, and I drop into an unchangeable eternity. And so I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has, has condescended to teach the way, and for this very end he came from heaven. And he hath written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be homo unios libri, a man of just one book. What does it mean to be a mature Christian? What does it mean to be old faithful? Well, point one, that the faithful keep spreading the word and they keep submitting to the word. But in contrast, in verse 2, if we look there, we discover that not all are faithful indeed. End of verse 2, not all have faith. For sadly, there were some associated with the churches that Paul taught who were faithless. People who handled the word in a different way to, to Paul and the Thessalonians. And so point two this morning, the faithless keep spurning the word and keep silencing the word. The faithless keep spurning the word and keep silencing the word. Now, when Paul warns here that not all have faith, to whom was Paul thinking? Well, firstly, we may wonder that, that if Paul is thinking about the, that the many on his missionary journeys who, who kept rejecting the gospel. Uh, those who had perhaps heard the, the word of the Lord from Paul, like those in, in the Thessalonian uh, synagogue in, in Acts chapter 17, who had spurned the, the gospel then, and who keep spurning it as they keep hearing of it from the Thessalonian church now. And, and sadly... We too may, may see many of those people today. People who come into this building for, for a few Sundays, perhaps for a whole year. 
desperately thirsty people. People who hear of the life-giving waters of Christ that we read about earlier in John chapter 4, who are offered living water without price, as we read earlier Isaiah 55. People who hear that amazingly in God's grace, sinful and unbroken and guilty people like them and like everybody else in this room can be restored to their good father and may be fit for heaven in Christ. And yet those who spurn that word, perhaps with a a proud snubbing of that glass and a pretense of, of not needing any water, or perhaps just with a polite, no thank you, I'm not that thirsty. For the word of the Lord always produces opposite responses in God's people. It's the very same in, in, in Paul's day. As a Victorian preacher, Charles Spurgeon wrote, the same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. And indeed, maybe that is you here this morning. One who keeps seeing God's grace every single Sunday. And yet one who keeps spurning God's grace every single Sunday. One who feels, in a sense, the warmth of the word and witnesses such a warm-hearted community and yet whose heart is not melted by the word but increasingly hardened to it. My unbelieving friends, if that's you, whether you are eight years old this morning or whether you are 80 years old this morning, please would you look again at the wonderful offer of Christ, the free offer of his grace grounded in real history Make time to consider it carefully, what you are spurning in God's lovely word before it hardens you in your rejection. Accordingly, as Paul describes the great faithless, uh, perhaps that is who he has in mind here. People who who come to church every single Sunday, but keep spurning the the word of the Lord. Well, Well, it could be. But actually, I don't think that that is quite who Paul has in mind here. For if you look at the first part of verse 2, Paul hopes that that he might be delivered from men who he describes as wicked and evil. And the word evil, in a sense, does mean evil there. But more literally, it means those in the wrong place. Men who were, in the Greek, atopos. A meaning anti or not of. And topos linked to our a word, uh, topography, meaning place. Wicked men who were in the wrong place. In short, the the faithless who thought that they did belong to the church, but in reality did not because of their hostility to the word of the Lord. And if you can remember back to a few weeks ago in chapter 2, you'll remember that there were faithless people in, in, in Thessalonica who claimed to be Christians who were looking to silence God's word. And specifically in chapter 2, trying to silence the idea that, that, that Jesus was returning to rescue. Indeed, they said that, that Jesus has already come back. So it doesn't really matter how you live, whether you get a job or whether you share the gospel with anybody. In short, they were trying to silence the idea that there was a need to be ready for Jesus' return. And so can you see how these so-called Christians handled the word of God? They, they turned the volume on it right down. Indeed, they silence it, like, like a teenager hitting the snooze button on a, on a Saturday morning. Shh, leave me alone. I'm stay in bed. Indeed, much more to say on that topic of laziness, which we'll come to next week. 
But for now, can you see generally how the way in which one handles the word of God is an indication of faithfulness? And how some people who were in some way associated with this church did not treat the word of the Lord as the Thessalonians did and would keep on doing. And so again, the question that comes to everyone in this room is, the question that comes to us in chapter three is, is who are you most like? The faithful who spread and submit to the word of the Lord or the faithless? who spurn and silence the word of the Lord. And as we seriously contemplate that question, no doubt for some of us here, we we might be worried, perhaps anxious that we might be deceived by the faithless, or maybe even for some of us, anxious that we might become the faithless. Indeed, at a time where, where the word of the Lord keeps dividing, and people who claim to be Christians keep being deceived and keep deceiving. Where do the old faithfuls find their assurance that they are old faithfuls? How do you know that you, who acts like Robinson Crusoe in all his pomp, wielding knife, boldness in the face of worldly danger, how do you know that one day you will not hang it up? Well, in chapter 3, there is one final character who handles the word of the Lord. Point 3 this morning, the faithful Lord keeps shielding by his word and keeps stoking by his word. The faithful Lord keeps shielding by his word and keeps stoking by his word. End of verse 2. Not all have faith, but, verse 3, the Lord is faithful. Now, we may expect Paul to return to the, to the faithfulness of the Thessalonian church here and how they established themselves against all the false teaching and how they obeyed and they kept obeying every word of Scripture. But the ultimate confidence that Paul has is not finally found in their employment of the Bible, but rather how God will employ his word in their lives. For look again at verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. He He will establish you, guide you against the evil one. Verse 4, we have confidence in the Lord about you. And please note we we, we don't have confidence about you and your submission to the word. We have confidence in the Lord about your submission to the word of God. What does it mean to be old faithful? Well, ultimately it means that a faithful God is faithfully working in you and he will not give up. For marvelously, he will establish us and guard us, verse three. He will help us to obey, verse four, and he will direct our hearts, verse five. And so what does this ultimate faithfulness mean? Does it mean that that we can all kind of breathe a sigh of relief and, and throw the first half of this sermon in the trash? Thinking that it does not matter whether we turn our hearts to the the newspapers of today, whether we we put the the word of God up on the shelf forever or not, whether we seek to spread the word or whether we seek to submit to it at all, because God will just keep those and and guard those to the end anyway. Friends, that's not what the Bible teaches. For as Jesus himself said in Mark 13, 13, only the one who endures to the end, who keeps trusting the word will be saved. 
Uh, likewise, in, in, in Colossians chapter 1, God will present you blameless in Christ if indeed, if, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope held out in the gospel. And so our confidence of being old faithfuls comes not from the idea that if we actively reject the word of the Lord, that he'll just save us anyway. But in the fact that the Lord will, will faithfully keep us through his own faithful employment of his word to us. Let me say that again. Our confidence of being old faithfuls comes not from the idea that if we actively reject the word of the Lord, that the Lord will just save us anyway. But in the fact that the Lord will faithfully keep us through his own faithful employment of his word. For firstly, can you see, as God employs his word, we are faithfully shielded. Verse three, he will establish you and guard you. And how will the Lord do that? How will the Lord protect us? How will the Lord ensure that we stay faithful? Well, yes, it will be through other Christians and through sermons and Bible studies, but he will do that through other Christians who hold out his word and by sermons that are focused on his word, and by Bible studies that actually open up his word. For it is the knife of his precious word that will shield us and protect us from every other ideology of the day. That the Lord wonderfully and faithfully kind of stands over us like, like a guard outside an important building. And we have to take every confidence in that. But it is his, in his employment of the knife of his very word that will keep that falsehood out. And his faithfulness to us that the Lord uses his word in us. And likewise, did you notice, not only to shield our hearts, but also to stoke our hearts too. Did you notice that in verse five? May, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And again, how will the Lord do that? How does God direct us, point us to his great love for us? How does God show us what, what, what faithfulness looks like? Well, again, is it not through his word? Where the atoning, loving sacrifice of Jesus is recorded in the pages of history. Where the boundless love of God is displayed in the cross and the faithfulness of his suffering son all written down for us. God in his great faithfulness to us stokes our hearts by his word. And friends, do you not know that? Do you not feel that? Do you not, you not experience that? When you get up on a, on a Monday morning and your heart feels cold to the Lord and how he faithfully stokes you with his word, prods and pokes old truths in you, like rearranging old wood in a, in a, in a, in a, in a fading fire, as you open up his word to remember just how much he loves you and just how faithful an, an example Jesus is. So friends, I pray that as you take that the knife of God's word off the shelf each morning, that it might cut away all those false ideas that you tell yourself that the Lord does not adore you, that you are useless, that you're not really his. And I pray that as you take the knife off the shelf each morning, that you might let it prick you and poke you and spur you to a faithfulness just like Christ. The faithful Lord keeps shielding by his word and keeps stoking by his word. And very finally, 
last few minutes. In light of the fact that it is ultimately the Lord and his employment of his word that we are to rest in, what best characterizes old faithfuls in the faith? Christian depth and maturity. What must we, we as Edgefield Church be marked by? Well, we should go to the Lord in prayer. The faithful keep spreading the word and keep submitting to the word. The faithless keep spurning the word and keep silencing the word. The faithful Lord keeps shielding us by his word and keeps stoking us by his word. So be faithful in prayer. So be faithful in prayer. You know, in these five verses, there's actually only one direct command in this whole passage. Only one imperative, only one action verb. And it is found in verse 1, and I've saved it for the very end. Verse 1, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. What does it mean to, to be an old faithful? It means that we pray. And not just that we pray, but that we pray for things related to the word speeding ahead. For if the knife of the word of the Lord belongs to the Lord, then it makes sense, doesn't it, that we go to him, that we might plead with him, that he might wield it. That God may cause his word to be spread. That God may cause his word to be submitted to. That God may stop people from spurning his word. That God may stop people from silencing his word. That God may shield us by his word. That he might stoke us by his word. As I said at the very beginning, great faithfulness is evidenced by what one does with the word of the Lord. And so is the word of the Lord something which is really shaping your prayers? Are your prayers orientated often around the gospel? Are we praying for for the spread of the word of the Lord? Evangelism, gospel opportunities with with, with neighbors and friends to to invite them along on on Sunday mornings and, and to the Christmas carol service. World mission, gospel opportunities with, with, with immigrants in Nashville. Missionaries in our church, Mitchell and Amanda Killian, Drew and Caroline Avery. And are we praying for an even greater submission to the word of the Lord in our lives too? Our, our discipleship, Sunday school classes and small groups, meeting up with other people and, and talking about the word, comforting one another with the word, challenging one another with the word. Friends, what are you really faithful in prayer for? Or to put it another way, as Kevin DeYoung recently asked his congregation, if every single one of your prayers for the past year was answered by God, what would the world look like? Brothers and sisters, would your granny be steadfastly waiting for heaven or would she have never gotten sick all winter? Would the gospel have, have broken into North Korea or would you have been able to catch your vacation flight to New York? Would your colleague at work have been baptized? Or would you be able to talk in the office about the great person that you're now dating? Would you have overcome that, that besetting sin that is ruining your life and your marriage? Or would you have gotten the promotion at work? Would your children be walking with the Lord Jesus? Or would your children have got the best grades in the class? Friends, it's not wrong 
It's not wrong. Please don't hear me say it. It is not wrong for us to pray for, for granny's coughs and colds and for good vacations and holidays and, and, and for dates and, and marriage proposals or promotions at work or, or for our kids to get 100% in the, in the times table test just once. Please, Lord. We can and we ought to pray for these things. They're often good things to pray for. But if our prayers never have anything to do with God's word, its spread, our submission to it, then there is some kind of disconnect in what we understand faithfulness to be. Friends, prayer is often hard. It's often hard to be faithful in this particular way. If that's you very practically, why not write down what you pray for? Why not make a prayer diary to help you remember? Or come along on Sunday evenings here at 5 p.m. Not this Sunday, but next as we pray for such things again and again and again. It's a service that's been set up, not for, the, not for the best prayers in the church, but for people like me who often forget to pray for the things that are the most important to our church and for God's glory. And friends, whether you start coming or not, what will you do to, to implement this? What does it mean to be an old faithful in prayer? Or perhaps as we close, another story will inspire this morning I started with the imaginary story of Robinson Crusoe in England, retired from Elizabeth Bishop's poem. The story of a man who initially convinced himself of his great faithfulness every single morning because of his great knife-wielding past. But, but a man who with increasing honesty comes to wonder whether he really is who he thought he was because he is now retired and has more interest in today's newspapers than the old knife that defined who he was. But as we close, I share not an imaginary story, but a true story. A true story of what happened when, when David Crump, a, a young American minister in the late 1980s, met a retired old lady in Aberdeen in Scotland. In his book, Knocking on Heaven's Door, Crump writes this. With all of this in mind, I suspect that I once met the spirit of Paul on a gloomy Tuesday afternoon in the northeast corner of Scotland, not too far from Aberdeen. For, for during my, my years as a doctrinal student, I served for a time as a parish assistant in my local church. Each Tuesday afternoon, I made pastoral visits to the elderly, to shut-ins, and various infrequent attendees of church. And this particular Tuesday brought me to the red door of a smallish council flat, i.e. public housing, that was the home to an elderly gray-haired widow. She invited me in for tea, and she began to tell me stories about all the, the losses in her life, her husband's death, deteriorating health, long distances that she had to go to be with children and grandchildren. She spent most of her time alone, tending the small coal-burning fireplace that Scottish people dub central heating. And so I asked how she occupied her time, expecting to see her, her draw a chest of knitted shawls and crocheted afghans from beneath her living room chair. But instead, she pointed to the morning newspaper, spread out across her kitchen table. I pray, she said. Her eyes sparkled as she described an average day. First, I read the headlines, the world and the local news, she said. 
then I pray that the Lord would, would give his grace, wisdom, and guidance to all the leaders responsible for making wise and just decisions. I pray for gospel peace wherever there is conflict and relief for all the suffering. And then I read the obituaries and I ask that Christ bring comfort and solace to those who grieve, that he may answer their questions and show each family how much he loves them in their time of sadness. And then I read the wedding announcements and I pray that God would fill each couple with his patience and compassion, that every husband and wife will love each other as Christ loves the church, giving them endurance for tough times. And then I read the birth announcements and I pray that the Holy Spirit will fill the life of every child, transforming each one into the mature, holy man or woman of God that they may become in Christ. And then I pray that that might occur in my own family and my friends and my neighbors and my community and for acquaintances who are in need. And finally, I thank God for all his blessings in my life, for my own salvation and my eternal home in heaven. And right about then, I usually find it's time for tea, for dinner. What does it mean to be old faithful? It means a desire to see the word of the Lord spread, a desire to submit to the word of the Lord. And having understood that the Lord is faithful, that he shields our hearts by his word and stokes our hearts by his word. It is a faithfulness in prayer that he might do those things. Friends, whether we are the young minister with all the, the energy and the skill of a young Robinson Crusoe or whether we are more like a tired old lady on a public housing estate in Aberdeen, we are all called to be faithful in prayer. Let's do that now. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you and we recall your boundless faithfulness to us. Father, we praise you for how you have worked in our lives, for how the gospel was spread to us for how we have over time and in your goodness and kindness slowly submitted to your word. And yet, Father, we see all around us the faithless, those who sadly keep spurning your very word, those who even look to silence it. And so, Father, we pray for your help. We pray that, that, that you might keep shielding our congregation by your word and that you would move and direct our hearts, that you would stoke the fires of the gospel once more, that we might be faithful in evangelism, that we might be faithful in discipleship, and above all, prayer, and a reliance on you. And Father, we pray that we would not feel that the burden of that task of faithfulness, but that we would come to enjoy the great privilege of taking everything to you in prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.